Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name is George Cooper and welcome to the first show of the 23-24 Premier League season. Football is back and we are celebrating with an away win. As many of you have pointed out, Fulham wins at Goodison Park are like buses. We wait for ages and then three turn up in quick succession. Now, it wasn't a comprehensive victory by any means. Everton had by far the better chances and controlled large spells of the game. You know, when your keeper puts up a man of the match performance, it's never usually due to your size dominance. Things were looking bleak until the 73rd minute we call him the Swiss Army Knife, but on Saturday, it was Bobby Toffee Hammer Reed who sealed a textbook smash and grab victory for the Whites. We're going to be covering all the action, we'll answer some of your questions, and then discuss the very exciting signing of a certain grease-up Spaniard. I, for one, am very excited about that one. I don't know about you, boys. Joining me today... Farrell Monk, how are you doing? I'm good, Coops. How are you? I am absolutely buzzing, mate. Dan Cook, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing good, Coops. What an intro to start the season. Wow, love that. You got to, you know, you got to get it going. You know, three points, opening day, away win. Doesn't get much better than that, does it? And George Rossiter, you're right, son. Hello, mate. How are you? As you can tell, I'm very excited. Have you got some three-word reviews for me, please, lad? There were there were 159 to choose from, so uh, you had you had you had you know a lot to a lot to pick. Everyone's been prepping all summer for this, so there was a lot a lot on both Twitter and Instagram about burned baby burned. That was a very common one that everyone enjoyed. Um, Ross McSweeney's clearly been to the cinema recently because he said he is Lenoff as a reference to the new Barbie movie. Uh, Chad Thomas Hannon with Grand Theft Leno. Uh, Fulham home runs with Leno's Mopay Revenge in homage to uh, their old Brighton and Arsenal days. The Cottage Tactico with points without Palinia because... I don't think we got on too well when he didn't play last season. And Steve Hazelwood, maybe with the best of the bunch, daylight bobbery achieved. <laughs> <laughs> that is very good. I like that one. I like that one a lot. Farrell, I mean, pff, how good does it feel to be starting this campaign with a win? Yeah, it's it's great, isn't it? Just to get three points on the board uh, straight away. I think the last time uh, that Fulham launched a Premier League season with three points was 10 years ago when Paitim Kasami headed in up at the Stadium of Light to send the smattering of, uh, of Fulham fans up there deli- at home delirious thinking, oh, what a season we're going to have. And then we ended up getting relegated that year. Uh, hopefully it's not a, it's not, <laughs> it's not the same thing's going to happen this year. Definitely got a bit more hope uh, this time around, but yeah, isn't it great? Um, you know, three points on the board straight away. You know, we said all last year how, how, you know, a very good start was the basis for what turned out to be quite a, you know, a very good season. Pressure was off. You, you're not sort of like playing catch up the whole time, like we've seen in other other seasons previously. You know, it's a tough run of fixtures that we've got coming up. So to get three points straight away means that we go into Arsenal and Man City thinking every point up from there is a bonus point. Yeah, it's great. It's great. It's great to, to get going finally. 
Mm, it seemed like there was quite a lot riding on this game and uh, I listened to Jack, Kelly and Sammy's quick take before recording today and Jack said that there was an at- a quite tense atmosphere at Goodison Park, what with the tumultuous uh, pre-season that we've had. George, did you did you sense that atmosphere going into the game today, uh, yesterday at Goodison Park? Yeah, I think with Arsenal-Man City, the third and fourth game of the season, the talk in the pub before the game was very much... We need four points, really, from this Everton and Brentford start. Um, six, ideally, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. Brentford looked quite good today. But I don't think the game helps the, the way we started in the first half. You know, if we'd got off to a flying start like we did in the Liverpool fixture a year ago, I think that would have, you know, calmed the tension that was in the ground at the time. But the way we kept being counter-attacked in the first half, especially on Alex Iwobi's side because Kenny Tete was playing so high up the pitch, it, it didn't help with the tension at all because it just felt like, although Everton didn't have much quality in the final third and it showed, you can't help but feel nervous when you keep getting a barrage of attacks down that same wing time after time, expecting something might happen. And especially in a game where, based off the last two seasons, although you can never expect to win too many Premier League away games, Everton is one you'd like to win because they hadn't improved too much attacking wise. They'd signed Dan Juman. They looked to be signing Jack Harrison, but until then, it was only Dan Juma. And it just like, I think Roy Hodgson said on the first, on match of the day last night, he was happy that he'd got the Bramall Lane fixture out of the way with three points early doors. And I think I feel the same about Goodison Park because they're going to have some big atmospheres there that this season because they're going to be moving stadium. They're going to have some new attacking players in. I, I can't see them being as unclinical as they were in this game. So I think just to get out with three points and just kill a few nerves on the first day is the best thing we could have done. Yeah. I mean, they looked really toothless up front. First half, I thought there were some major causes for concern. We we didn't look at all at the races, perhaps a, um, a hangover from a, an unconventional preseason with us competing in the, in the summer series and not having time to prep properly. But defensively for me, I thought we looked really shaky and Dan I mean yeah what what did you think wasn't clicking especially first half for Fulham from a defensive point of view I mean we we were so open it was it was really disappointing to see and concerning I think there was everyone was concerned there was a couple of times especially when Decore waltzed through the middle I think that's when you heard a lot of tension in that away end that we were speaking about earlier because it's it nothing really special happened in that Everton attack. I know Ream slips, but still, it, they just walked straight through the middle of us. And there's, it's sort of a chicken and the egg in the, in a way, isn't it? Is it the defence's fault or is it the lack of protection in front of it? And I think probably in that first half, it's through lack of protection. And uh, I was watching back the highlights and after that chance, Bert Lemo stands up and just screams, we are so open at his team. And, and, and I think that's the problem. We didn't have that strength in midfield to prevent those transitions. And this was going to happen, right? Sean Dyche's teams are going to play on those transitions and they dominated. The second we lost the ball, I know we dominated the ball, but every time we lost it, that was when Everton sprung and it caused us so many problems. As George mentioned, you know, Kenny Tete was was done in behind many a time because he was caught high up the pitch, which on its own isn't massively an issue. You know, if, if Kenny Tete's playing up high, it's not the worst thing in the world. As long as there's someone protecting that part of the pitch off the back of it, you know, if your holding midfielder drops in and Issa Diop drifts out a little bit wider and fills in that right-back slot, it's not a problem. But that wasn't happening. It was just a hole at right-back. And so I think that comes without by us not having a midfield trio that was really built to deal with a side that was killing us on the transition. You know, I love Tom Kearney, but we know it's not a strength of his. And I think... I, I, I presume we're going to speak about Lukic because it's, it's such an interesting one. And I thought he did a lot of really good work on the ball and he drifts around in a nice way. He receive, he, he offers himself as an option well. He recycles possession well. But I think in that first half, having him as the deepest midfielder meant we got killed on the counter. And so I think that that's where the issue was. And, and luckily we can say, hopefully that's not a massive problem throughout our whole season because we should have Polina back. But we know that we can't have him as our 
as being depending on him to be in every game because he will get suspended. He might get injured, but suspension is obviously the biggest issue. And we're going to need to find out ways to cope without him in the team. And that probably means we need another player in the door to fill in that role, I think. Do you think with everything in mind that you just said that once Polinia comes back from injury, we're hoping it's going to be for the Brentford game on Saturday, that we'll see everything settle down and a lot more of the defensive stability that we enjoyed last season? I think so. I mean, if, especially if we're playing a game like we had yesterday where we have a lot of the ball and then we're trying to fight off opposition counterattacks. Pellini is great at that and his reading of the play is exceptional. His physicality and his ability to cover ground is invaluable. And I just don't think it's something that Sasha Lukic has in his, his locker. And, and that's where we're short. And I don't know if anyone else spotted this, but I have a feeling in the second half, to me anyway, it seemed like Marco Silva tried to change it slightly and it seemed like Harrison Reed played a bit deeper to me and more alongside Sasha Lukic, which then gave us like a double pivot and a bit more of a barrier in front of the back four. And we were more solid in that second half than we were in the first half. And so it was smart from Marco that that change, but I wonder if maybe we should have just seen that from the very beginning and, and played Harrison Reed deeper from the start. I think there's I think there's something to be said as well that considering we can sort of pinpoint little individual performances that has amassed in this sort of um, open uh, game that we saw yesterday, defensively at least, that you have to remember that most of this team had a d- disrupted preseason. Um, very, quite a lot of them either um, went into the preseason injured, have only just come back, picked up injuries along the way. You know, looking at Tim Ream, even Kenny Tete went off uh, injured in one of the preseason friendlies. Robinson missed a little bit. Tom Kearney's only just come back as well. Uh, William wasn't even our player at the start of preseason as well. Um, <laughs> you know, and you're, you're automatic, you know, you're going into this game with most of the team not actually being fully prepared for a Premier League game. And maybe... Um, that's a testament to Marco Silva to actually adapting it, like you said, to say like, look, I've seen what I've seen in the first half. We're, you know, we're not going to match them uh, at their athleticism and you know preparedness for this one. We're just going to have to sit deep and try and hope for an opening. And thankfully, that one opening did eventually come. Yeah, no, I think you're right. And um, I mean, you think we had a. Uh unsettling pre-season I mean Everton are very much in the same boat as well so when you think about teams that you probably want to face in the opening of the season I'd say Everton certainly wouldn't be too uh, low down on the list um, I want to come on to our man of the match uh, from yesterday which was of course uh, Super Burton Leno I mean a pretty much perfect performance uh, I think you'd agree Faz yeah um, it was brilliant I wrote about on the positive and negatives uh, this morning in Cam Ramsey's absence that he just puts in a professional performance whenever whenever he plays and even when Decore was running through 1v1 I kind of just felt like oh I think Leno's probably gonna end up have a really good chance of saving this because we've seen it time and time again you know there are there are even sort of like little moments in the match where he comes uh, claiming for crosses and they're always really quite comfortable obviously he did drop the ball for their disallowed goal which we can talk about in a bit which I don't want to grab onto because I think he's more than made up for it not just today but throughout his his short Fulham career already he always just seems really really in control of every situation when the ball's at his feet when there's a shot coming in when there's a cross coming in whether it's 1v1 you know I I want this guy to organise my life for me not just sit in goal uh, <laughs> sit in goal for us <laughs> yeah he approaches goalkeeping with typical German efficiency and he's the sort of <laughs> man you want between the sticks I mean in comparison to you see someone like uh, Pickford and I love Pickford I love him for England I think he's you know, he's provided me with many many glorious moments supporting England over the years and I think he's a good goalkeeper but in comparison he's so frantic flapping everywhere barking at his defenders and he, I just feel like that doesn't give your back line the confidence that is conducive to a, a calm defensive performance I would much rather have Leno um, in goal uh, over, over Pickworth and I mean he obviously you know countless saves yesterday uh, to keep us in the game Let, let's, uh, Faz you, you mentioned the, uh, the disallowed goal and um, let's come on to it I feel like Tarkovsky hasn't done anything wrong there he's just stood where he was and Leno's caught 
and then his momentum's carried him in. And I thought that it wasn't a disallowed goal. Everton fans, obviously, completely incensed. Uh, what, was, what was your opinion on the whole situation, Dan? Because some people, have, like Sammy, for example, felt like it was the right call. Where, where, do, you, where do you stand on this, uh, on this debate? I think where I stand on it is on, on two sides because I, it's the same when we're going to talk about, I'm sure, the penalty, that, the, our penalty shout that came later on. What I think should be and shouldn't be a foul versus what actually is and isn't in football and goalkeepers are super protected. They always have, well, I say always have been, in recent times they have been. And I find it frustrating that you can't compete with a goalkeeper. Goalkeepers have a massive advantage. They can use their hands, which gives them an extra jumping reach uh, of a, cons- a considerable amount. And the fact that foot players then can't challenge with goalkeepers, I think is a bit ridiculous. So ultimately, I don't think it was a foul, but they are always given. Like They are always given. Any time a player comes into contact with a goalkeeper, if he backs in, if he stands his ground, the referee gives it. And I think there was almost an air of acceptance from everyone on the pitch, barring James Tarkovsky, that, yeah, that's a foul. Like If you watch Michael Keane when he tucks it away, he doesn't really celebrate. He sees the whistle blown and he just sort of jogs back to the halfway line. He doesn't complain. And it's, there's this just acceptance in football that, oh, that's a foul. I don't think it should be. The other point I think I'll give is that a couple of people have spotted it. And I'm sorry if I'm forgetting who shouted out. I think actually one of them was Cottage Analytica, Chris Frank, that although it, even if you don't give the foul, it comes off James Tarkovsky's arm and Michael Keane is also near, probably 99.9% certainly offside. So... Even if that gets VAR'd, the reason it didn't was because the referee blew his whistle early. If he hadn't have blown his whistle early and waited, it probably wouldn't have counted anyway. So I think whilst we got away with one, we actually didn't because it wouldn't have counted anyway. Interesting. I mean, that that was the mistake from the referee was blowing his whistle, wasn't it? And that's one of the reasons why Dyche was so incensed after the game that he said those things have got to go to VAR. Um, But I mean, it's one of those, we got away with it. And um, and yeah, went on to to get the three points. So when it comes to the penalty, then for example, what what, what do you think, Faz? Uh, the, the handball I'm talking about, uh, where Mitrovic was adamant it was a, a penalty, strikes Tarkovsky's arm, and yeah, well, uh, to me that looked like a penalty. I was I was pretty certain. I mean, what, what, but again, it seems to divide opinion. What was your take, Faz? <sighs> do you know what I mean? The amount of times that over the last year or so that I've seen handball decisions in games and I have absolutely no idea what the handball rule mm. is anymore and that's that's <laughs> kind of my take on it so I can't really yeah. give an honest opinion as to whether it is yeah. it should be or not I think there's that there's the elements of like the silhouette of 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 you know the natural silhouette of where the hand should be as they say but I think because it comes off his elbow and his elbow is like where Un- where an elbow should be, which is a dumb thing to say. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like fine, but I suppose if it hits his arm that's up in the air as opposed to his elbow, then that's probably a penalty. We also saw one quite similar in the Chelsea game just now as well, and that wasn't given. I don't think it sort of comes off someone's elbow, but um, yeah, I-, I mean, I wish I could sit here and tell you definitely why it should or shouldn't be a penalty, but I can't. I think think, the thing you think you have to add in, if we're comparing it, the the perfect comparison to me, I was watching Match of the Day last night, was in the Brighton-Luton game. And Luton's penalty comes from a blocked cross which hits someone's elbow in, as Farrell would say, where an elbow should be, really. (laughs) Um, And it's, it's... Pretty identical, and ultimately, I don't think either should be penalties. That's, I think it's a really, it would be really harsh. But the, they seem to have put themselves in a position where they, the lawmakers and officials, think that is a penalty. So I'm was a bit miffed by it because having watched it back, I'm surprised it wasn't given, despite the fact that I don't think it should be a penalty in in an ideal footballing world. Right, okay. Try and unpick that one, uh, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Ultimately, we should have had a penalty, I think. If we, if you look at that Luton game yesterday as well, 
if that's a penalty, ours should have been a penalty. And VAR didn't overturn that decision. So, yeah. No, I think that makes sense. I mean, like, ultimately, it didn't matter. We came away with the three points. I mean, Jim, gentleman Jim, I was listening to his commentary, like, kind of called it the second half. It was when, uh, it was just after... Patterson slammed it against the crossbar. And he said, I think this is just going to be our day, you know. they Everton had that cursed in front of goal look that just no matter what they did, it just wasn't happening at all. And then lo and behold, um, you know, about five minutes later, Bobby Deckard over Reed gets, gets the goal. I was just trying to think, is this going to go down as one of the all-time best Fulham smash and grabs opening with all the context behind it as well? I was chatting to George before we uh, started recording today and he said for him it's nowhere near as good as the uh, as the Brighton victory last year. I mean, then we were under the cosh the whole game. But I mean, is it up there with maybe the Middlesbrough, you know, Norwood penalty? Where, where does it rank for you? I feel like a smash and grab feels like... The best ones I remember are the Norwoods and the Solomons because it's right at the end. Oh, when it has you, to be at the death. You, that's, that's how it feels, like a proper grab it at the end when you've been under pressure. Whereas with Everton, it's like the more they miss chances, the more you're like... Just, it wasn't a case of it's going to come. It was more a case of while they've not got a good striker and all it will take is one moment and we will score and we did. Whereas like... Brighton was just 85 minutes of sitting behind the sofa before Solomon scored. So. <laughs> We're venturing into kind of like football cliches territory here, like arguing about the ter- like what, what does it need to be a smash and grab? You need, you need Elizabeth Barnard on for football cliches. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Definitely, Absolutely. like, it, it, if, you, if you were playing football manager and you were the Everton manager, it'd be, it'd be one of those ones you would have thrown your laptop out the window. <laughs> Same stuff. <laughs> <laughs> there were some comments on Fulham Twitter yesterday that the substitutions really changed the game yesterday and uh, Dan you kind of hinted at that um, earlier Bobby on for William at half time we believe that could be just because William was on a yellow card and just as a bit of a shake up Mitrovic uh, coming on for um, for Jimenez what was the reception he got like yesterday Dan because <laughs> for the uh, Hoffenheim game it supposedly was uh, somewhat mixed uh, what was it like from Goodison Park when the big man came on? From where I was, it was less mixed. I think it was pretty much fully positive. And I think that people are taking the route that I am taking, which is as much as we can be disappointed and frustrated and annoyed with how he's conducted himself this summer, he is and has been our best striker of the past decade. And ultimately we need him and so i think we may as well just buy back into the mitrovic train and just you know get back on board and i think that's what people did and he, he gave us a real roller coaster of emotions as well like <laughs> he, he came on and took the armband and stuck it on and then and then realized actually no i'm not the captain that's tim ream's job <laughs> and so, so ran over to tim ream and gave him the captain's armband and then about five minutes later signaled that he needed to be subbed off because he was injured stood up, ran around the touchline and went, no, nah, I'm fine, actually, Carlos, sit down. Came back on, provided the pre-assist to the winner and we took three points. Like, it was just like a really bonkers return to, to the <laughs> you, team. You for, you've forgotten to mention the fact that in the five minutes before he got injured, he was pretty much just running around laughing through the teammates because of the, the barrage of abuse Al Hilal were getting from the stands. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't, honestly, it wasn't even a very mixed reception. I think when um, Raul Jimenez was going over to the touchlines, get subbed off, he kind of got the Southampton treatment when Vinicius came off of it, oh, and then celebrating when he came on. Um, and then, yeah, it was. <laughs> I hope none of the uh, none, no scouts were there from Al Hilal because they won't have taken nicely to us. <laughs> Do, do you think, was it Sammy who wrote the piece about uh, our greatest rivals? Do we think we have to add Al Halal alongside Chelsea, <laughs> QPR and Brentford? Yeah, Al Halal get battered everywhere they go. <laughs> I loved it. I was um, a good mate of mine's an Everton fan and when uh, Mitrovic came on and the televisions were showing him putting on the armband, they were like making him captain. It's like <laughs> when someone's worried that their girlfriend's going to leave them just buying them a load of jewellery and presents <laughs> <laughs> in a bid to try and get them to stay but yeah I mean he he 
provided uh, he was instrumental in the in the goal. Um, he threaded a beautiful ball through to perfectly weighted ball through to Andreas Pereira, who then whipped it across. I mean, who else but Bobby? He's he's just he's just the best, isn't he? It was, but all in all, Faz a, a really really tidy goal against the run of play. Yeah, uh, showing Patterson how to do it. Yeah, it, I think it's just a really really good goal. I know how you you mentioned before how the substitutions changed the game, but it was actually it was like. Dan Juma coming on actually changed the game because basically we just went up the other end and scored straight after he came on. It was a, it's a nice little worked move. I think that Mitrovic for that pre-assist that, um, that was mentioned is a lovely weighted ball. Pereira just showing his energy and tenacity to get there and not just win the ball, but play it into exactly the right area and and Bobby doing what Bobby does and just being at the right place at the right time, showing his footballing intelligence with a, you know, and just a nice tidy little finish to um, to get the game won. Yeah. It was very Sessignon-esque, wasn't it? Just randomly appearing at the it back was. post to tuck home whatever the leftovers were. I think that I think that basically when Patterson missed that chance and hit the smashed the crossbar, he decided to forego largely his defensive responsibility because all he was doing was thinking about um that missed chance because not long after that, although he was the one that was trying to chase down Pereira, not long after that, um Bobby should have scored uh, another one at the back post where Patterson was mm. nowhere to be seen as well. Um, so yeah, hopefully when we have the reverse fixture, Patterson is still thinking about his missed chance as well. Yeah, I was thinking that chance that he got quite soon after, I would have loved to have seen him go for the diving header on that one. It seemed like oh. perfect diving <laughs> header, yeah. zippy ball quite low. He tried to kind of you know wrap his foot around it and it just was zinged from Harry Wilson, wasn't it? Just quickly on Mitrovic, a few people saw him coming off the train at Euston, I saw on Twitter, wearing crutches and he had a boot on his foot. Uh, is there any intel update injury, uh, injury update that you guys have heard? He fell on his ankle. From a, from the corner, I think he um some sort of small collision with Decore. I, mm. I can't imagine unless Avanti West Coast or Trans Pennine have appointed you know a really good medical team. They could have done you know the, the the most vigorous of tests on the train. So I assume just from Everton back to Craven Cottage, it would have just been precautionary, and we'll find out more in the next couple of days. Mm. Too many train tinnies. <laughs> I think I think it's just the same problem we've seen for the what's it for months now. It won't be long off a year in a soon that this ankle problem has persisted, yeah. and I think that he instantly knew straight away that that's what it was. And it's a little bit frustrating because I I would have thought with that time off he had, then the summer break that we'd been through it, but clearly it's still not quite right, and it is concerning because mm. it if if. We saw last season teams actually start to target him. I can't remember which game it was, but there was it was I think it might have been I think it might have been Chelsea away. First few minutes in, he got um targeted straight away, kicked on the back of the ankle on the on the one that on the on the dodgy ankle. And and so teams are aware of it and do know how to to target players in these situations. So it's it's a worry. But we've got Raul Jimenez now, so it's fine. Yeah, I can't speaking of which, I wanted to ask what you thought, Dan, of his performance before Mitrovic came on. Mitrovic, no doubt, his pride would have taken a bit of a knock, not being, though, being dropped to the bench. I thought he provided an element of um, energy. Uh, he looked really fit and on it, and his press was incredible. He drifted into wide positions a little bit too much for my liking. I would much rather him kind of be sort of his heat map be somewhat more between the sticks. But what did you think of his performance? Uh, competitive debut for, for Fulham I thought he started okay actually and there was a couple of moments where he linked up with the rest of his his front three quite nicely little one touch passes around the corner and I think that's he's a very tidy cultured striker as Raul and I do like him but then I don't think think through any fault of his own he drifted out of the game but that was through our inability to progress the ball. And this is partly down to the fact that Everton had about 15 central midfielders on the pitch and there was no space anywhere. And it meant that we really struggled to get <laughs> any service into him at all. But 
I, I think there's there's lots of positive signs in there. I thought his when he hit the post, I think that was a great effort. Like to it to, was. to to be running away from goal to wrap his foot around that and and hit the inside of the post. Uh, it was a superb effort from him, and I'm gutted it didn't go in. But I think positive enough, and I think Marco's quickly warmed to him. And if uh, Adama Traore's comments are anything to go by, he's warmed to us as well, which is really sweet. Amazing. I mean, that's an exciting prospect for me. Obviously, the partnership between Traore and uh, Jimenez in 1920 was just, you know, incredible. And yeah, I excited to see those two team up. I'm I'm starting to like the guy even more. Obviously, his story is incredible and it just seems like a really stand up guy that fits the whole kind of Fulham ethos. So I think, you know, everyone's really urging him to to hit his strides. But um, yeah, I think that will do for part one. Don't go anywhere because we'll be back with some of your questions and talking about our new signing. Fulhamish is brought to you by NordVPN, a way of accessing sports matches, TV shows and films which aren't available in your region by switching your virtual location to a country which is showing the event. For instance, if you want to follow the Ashes or the Formula One this summer whilst you're on holiday using your existing subscriptions, you can do that just by flicking back your location to the UK. Or if you find a channel overseas that shows the sports matches you want at a much cheaper price, you can flick your location over to there and get around the geo blocks that are in place. NordVPN is roughly the same price as a cup of coffee a month and you can very easily make your money back with the savings you'll find on subscriptions, flights and so many other things. Right now, you can grab an exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com slash Fulhamish to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus a bonus gift. Best of all, it's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. Once again, that's nordvpn.com slash Fulhamish. Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. It's me, George Cooper. I am joined by Dan Cook, George Rossiter and Farrell Monk. Thank you to everybody who got in touch with uh, some questions that we took via X, um, formerly known as Twitter. (laughs) I'm going to kick off with this one from Fulham Fanbase. I'm going to throw this one to you, Faz. What kind of role does Vinny play if Mitrovic stays? It seems like Jimenez is the backup, seeing as he started yesterday. Thought Vinny was doing a great job. Seems harsh for him now to be third choice. What's your take on this one? Well, I think that means he's second in line to be our squad hype man behind Anthony Knockart, unless he leaves. Um, <laughs> Where does that leave Moon is then? <laughs> Moon is, yeah. Oh, well, yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, they've got to fight it out, I'm afraid. Who's better on the boombox in the uh, and the DJ decks in the, uh, in the tiny cottage um, changing rooms? I, I mean, I love Carlos Vinicius. I think he's come on leaps and bounds from the start of last year. He'll always be remembered for that goal against Chelsea. But unfortunately, I just don't think he's got the he's just got the quality at the moment to challenge Jimenez and Mitrovic for those uh, spots. Um, you know, the only the only saving grace is is that you know, with all the new rules around injury time, there's a lot more minutes to be had just in case we're we are needing a goal or two and twenty minutes comes up on the on the injury time board, Vinny might start warming up again. Um, but, you know, to be honest, I'm quite happy him being a third choice. I think it's quite a, I think it's, he's an admirable sort of player to have around the squad. He's got the necessary quality. I'm a bit more confident having Vinicius there available as our third choice over someone like Jay Stansfield right now. Um, mm-hmm. He's a ready-made replacement just in case, as we might have seen Mitrovic, you know, on his crutches, um, Jimenez has been a little bit injury prone the last year or two so I think it's an admirable pers- admirable you know good quality person to have in the squad as well it's better to have three good strikers than two good strikers in the squad let's be honest the only thing that I was a bit confused about when we signed Jimenez is not he's got obvious quality and he's shown it a lot in the Premier League but I was kind of confused why we didn't assign an attacker of a different profile because Jimenez seems a little bit too... I don't, I don't see what he offers that the two we already had didn't. Um, he might do a lot of things better than Vinicius, but equally, I think there was times last year when Bobby and even Dan James, especially at Everton away show, that just having that different profile of striker can be very effective. And then if we still want that in the transfer market, it's going to end up with Carlos Vinicius then dropping to fourth choice and then it raises this question again of where does he fit in? 
Yeah. The other, only other thing I'll add to it is is that I don't think I, I would feel a lot more comfortable if Carlos Vinicius stayed until the end of this transfer window because I might be in the minority, but I'm still not a hundred percent certain that Alexander Mitrovic is staying. I there, there's I've still got a little niggling doubt here that if Al Hilal, if, if if it's definitely them, if they come back and meet our valuation, we don't really have any way of, of stopping that happening. You know, if we've set a value that we've told them we'd accept and we've told Mitrovic we'd accept and they pay it, then I guess everyone benefits from that moment. You know, we get the money that we think he's worth um, and Mitrovic gets the move that he previously did want. And I'm not, hundred percent that he's definitely saying, you know, this is, this is such a minute detail that I saw yesterday, but you know, his, his, his love for Fulham has, has always been huge and his love for the fans. And how many times have we seen him walk over at the end of the three points and, you know, pump the Fulham badger in his chest and G up the fans. And, and yesterday it was a very mild applause and, and a stroll off. And I don't think it's necessarily a done thing that he's staying yet. So I think Vinny has to stay in and around this squad, at least for now, until we get past the transfer deadline. And I think one thing that might be worth mentioning is that if Neymar joins Al Hilal, because that's been reported by Fabrizio and Lakeep, I don't know if that goes one of two ways. Does that mean that I was going to say, does that mean that they don't have the money to then put 50 million into Mitrovic? But I don't know if it's really worth questioning the financial spending power of Saudi Arabia. Or does it then go the other way and Mitrovic is like, right, I really want to go now. I want to play with Neymar. I don't know which way that goes for us if Neymar goes there. Yeah, it's an interesting point. I mean, I'm with you, Dan. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I don't. I think it's very much 50-50 right now whether Mitrovic stays or not. I guess the only, to your point about uh, if they meet our valuation, also there's a question of whether they leave us enough time to find a suitable replacement. Um, so that could also come into it. But I mean, Matt Wall came in with a very interesting question, which I'm going to throw to you, Faz. Am I the only one who would prefer Mitro leaves now? Only for the right money, so 50 million. He's amazing, but a more than 100% profit on a 28-year-old after six years is good business. And we'd finally be able to sign a fast or fit striker to allow a high pre- higher press. Love him, but ready to say goodbye. Where do you stand on this debate, Farrell? Are you with Matt? Bloody hell. Bloody hell. Um, I don't know where to start. Um, there are so many, you know, I, I switch from one way to the next. I think that there's an element of um, my own, my sort of own personal feelings around it, around why the hell would you go and play in Saudi Arabia um, over my sort of pragmatic view, which is like he wants to go and earn a, a shit ton of money in an aura rich state, you know, that executes um, homosexuals. But I think that there's an element that I've also felt, which is like, well, if he's even thought about doing it and he's had his head turned, then he should just bloody go. And he hasn't shown that bit of loyalty to Fulham when Fulham have shown quite a lot, a lot of loyalty to him as well, when he's had a lot of hard times as well. Um, But saying that he's probably, he'll be up there as talked about as Fulham's one of Fulham's best ever strikers. And you just don't give that away at a moment's notice, considering he still has three years, three years or four years left on his contract. But, you know, he's still got a few years left on his, on his contract. The amount that he could contribute in that time is more worth than 50 million pounds. That's for sure. It'll be more than worth 50 million pounds to the club. Um, And I feel like just, letting him go would be a would be a bad decision um for football reasons as as well as financially and there is a lack of strikers available around as well and we've seen that um Fulham don't necessarily have the purchase power to get a to get an Alexander Mitrovic type player back in again we're not big boys in the transfer market. We're not going to find another Paulinia around. Those are one once in a once in a blue moon type signing. Um, the same way that like someone like Musa Dembele when we captured him, 
these these players do not come around very very often. Yeah, and I think Faz, I think Faz is spot on. And I get what Matt's saying because where he's right is I think this is the highest that Mitrovic's transfer market value will ever be for the rest of his career. I think his stock is at the highest it's ever been, and from you know even if he has the same season this season and scores a, a heap of goals, he'll be a year older and he'll be pushing out his value will be dropping. However, the trade-off there is that his value to us, as Faz says, is is more than what his transfer value currently is. And we've seen Brighton be great, and not just Brighton, other teams, but at the moment they're in the press for it. Brighton are great at putting the value on the player that they are to them. So they've said that Caicedo is worth 110, 115 million pounds to them, and they've, they stick to that. Now, we just don't have that same pedigree at the moment I guess with with selling players and and whereas everyone has tuned into the quality of Brighton's players I think there's still you know the jury's still out on some of ours and also Mitrovic doesn't have maybe the ceiling the the high ceiling that players like Caicedo does he's a very one-dimensional player who you know you need to play a specific way to fit him in your side and 50 million is probably the most we could expect to get for him and I don't think anyone would be willing to pay more than that and on that basis it would cost us I think more than 50 million to find that number of goals to fit this system so don't sell yeah yeah. Anyway, time will tell, I guess. <laughs> it's the end. It feels like this conversation's just been going on forever. But we'll know sooner rather than later whether Mitrovic stays. I mean, it's a it's a flip of a coin in my opinion. But let's talk about our new signing. So I for one am so excited. I've always loved watching Adama Traore play. He's just it's just entertaining, right? And I've been um, watching a few kind of Wolves fan channels and uh, and their reaction to him going, and they seem to be completely um, in agreement that it's a, it's a sad loss to them. He seems like a real stand-up guy as well. He does loads of stuff for their, um, supposedly for their sort of off-field sort of charitable causes. Um, obviously, you mentioned earlier the, the link-up, the very exciting prospect, the link-up with um, Raul. I mean, for me, I think it's a very low-risk signing you know we've got him on a free it's a short-term well, shortish term contract two years with an option for another one i mean i think this is i think this is there's no negative really fast how, how do you feel when you saw when you saw the the signing confirmed what's the catch what is the catch yeah yeah exactly. <laughs> what is the catch he is the catch, what is the catch? <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly um i think i think there's so much to be excited about this deal I hope this doesn't come back to bite me, but I feel like he's a very good fit for for what we have because he can play, operate on both sides, which is good for us as well. He's incredibly dynamic. There's so many obvious things you can talk about with him as well. Um, he does get a bit of a bad rap in in on some in some social media circles that oh he's just a one trick pony, he just picks up from deep and runs. I think that does a real disservice to the type of player and the quality he has with the ball at his feet. I think he does offer a lot more. Um, you know, you don't play this many times in the Premier League or play for Barcelona by accident, uh, just yeah. by being one, di- you know, one dynamic. Yeah, I think I think he's just going to fit really, really well. I don't I don't expect him to come in and start, um, you know, pulling up trees literally and figuratively. Marco Silva's going to do what he's done with most other players in the squad is slowly integrate them into team. Marco is a is a tactical perfectionist. Um, you know, he'll spend some time with them on the training ground and integrating them into the style of play and how they should do uh, patterns of play and, and those kinds of stuff. So, um, you know, I hope he proves me wrong and scores three on his debut. Yeah, it really makes me laugh when people uh, say, oh, you know, they're a one-trick pony. It's a bit like when you hear people uh, criticise strikers who get loads of goals as tapping merchants, as if, like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> strikers, like, oh, yeah, all a job tour does is pick it up from deep, beat two men and then blast it into the box, <laughs> like, that's, as if that makes him any less of a player. He's actually got the mad stat... Troy's got the most successful dribbles in the Premier League since 2018-2019. Uh, so... Um, which is more than Wilfred Zaha, Alison Maximan, Dwight McNeil, Raheem Sterling, who are the next on the list. So, I mean, he's a player with Premier League pedigree. And um, yeah, I mean, that, that, Faz, you just touched upon it there. And we also had a, um, a question here from It's Only Fulham. 
is he a super sub or should he replace, uh, say, Harry or William in the? Well, Harry Wilson is what um, it's only Fulham has, suge- has suggested here in the in the starting eleven. I anticipate that we'll see him as a sort of dynamic, shake it up super sub. That I think that he's just another option, and you know, William wasn't at his dynamic best yesterday. And I think it's okay, like we've seen with previous managers. Jukanovic did it to a great success um, in the two championship years of just rotating the stri- uh, wingers now and again. Um, and that's okay. You can do it with those positions. Um, and, you know, we saw it a little bit with Deco Reed at the start of last year as well, although injuries played a part there as well. So I think it's, I, I, I personally think it's going to be more on the Williams side than the Harry Wilson side, if I'm honest. But as, as we've said, he can operate on both sides. I think I think eventually he comes in and starts coops. I think if you look, I I don't know if I'm the only one, but I'm like gobsmacked that this transfers happened. By the way, like I didn't think we had this pulling power. I'm surprised. I th- I know that his stock's relatively low at the moment, given that he fell out with Wolves and he didn't really want to play, and then he stayed against his will, and Barca couldn't afford him, and all of these things. But I'm so shocked that he's ended up with us. Like, like, realistically, I would have expected him after everything to have probably ended up in Saudi, uh, that he's like prime player that they would have loved to have picked up. And the fact we've got him, is I'm so excited. And really, I think if if things go well and given the betting in time, he will become our first choice winger because this 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 man is at his best unplayable. And, and to, mm. to reduce him to just being a super sub, I think, does him a disservice because it's easy to look at someone quick. And I think everyone instantly thinks of Dan James and you're like, oh, lob him on to try and change the game or, you know, when we're trying to see something out and have a counter-attacking option. No, I think you start this man and you try and put attacks through him and he will make things happen. It's so exciting. I can't remember the last time we had a player that I genuinely got so excited about to, to watch them play for Fulham. Abubakar Kamara. I think the one the one thing that a couple of people have said about Adama that I 100% agree with is that he's in that kind of group of players that what Alan St. Maxman comes to mind where you're absolutely terrified when he's running at your defence so to have him on your side is a really Mm. really relieving feeling so I I think that's the biggest and, and again another good judge is always how to his old club feel about him and the fact that they're upset he's left, that's another big plus for us. Um, I'm not as bullish about him starting straight away. I think Harry Wilson's got a lot of credit in the bank, but I don't I don't disagree about what Dan says about what he can offer us. Traore famously got that goal that all but sealed our fate at Craven Cottage for Wolves. It was the first time he'd scored in about a year or something. Um, so we, we, we're all too uh, familiar with... Uh, when he can put on his finishing boots, which I think is the only real criticism to his game that comes around quite a lot, other than the fact that he's a one-trick pony and, and taking <laughs> taking around four men and and uh, having successful dribbles. But I'm really, really excited. I'm really excited. I think that a lot he was expecting bigger clubs to come in for him. But if we've learned one thing about Fulham over these last years is that we are very, very good at getting the best out of players who maybe as Dan mentioned, uh, a bit low on uh, the stock is a little bit low with a bit of a point to prove. And he certainly fits that mold. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm buzzing for this one. I might even get a shirt first shirt in a few years. <laughs> what, what, what number he's going to get? What number is, what number is he? Has he got number 11? He's got number 11. Oh, my favorite number. I'm sold. The other thing, I'm, I'm making that purchase that, immediately after recording. That yes, I think it's worth adding is, and this, this might be a negative view, but it's a positive thing is that, he's got massive resale value if this goes right. Yeah. Like we've got a huge, op- like if, if, if he has a, a great season and having signed him for free, teams are willing to spend for players like this. And and so the fact that we've got him a two-year deal plus an extra year, we've got a seriously valuable asset. And actually this is... Especially, especially if he makes it back into the Spain squad because he, yeah. he was only he made his eighth cap not eighteen months ago. So if he gets back into the Spain squad off one good season, he could be worth a lot of money. It's just it's it's such a smart mm. deal from the club, and it's 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 bad that we're so surprised by it, but it really is. And <laughs> you know, it's it's super exciting. It's like when we signed Sonny Aluko, but like a million times better. <laughs> 
Yeah. I'll have no I'll have no bad words to say about Shoney. What a player. <laughs> Do we not need to give the recruitment team a bit of credit? Because it's not the first time they've done this in the last three or four years. You know, the amount of players that have come in for right. Leno, three million, Tete, two million, Tossin, two million, um, Freeze for Willian and now Adama. They keep getting it spot on, you know. They keep getting it really spot on. It's it's a big improvement from when the Khans first came in, the sort of business they were doing. I think, yeah, there needs to be an element of credit that we've not given them um, in the past there. Yeah, hats off. Who knows, maybe we'll see him grace the Craven Cottage turf against Brentford on Saturday. On that note... I think that's uh, all we got time for today. But what a way to start the season! Three points, and yeah, taking on the taking on the local rivals on Saturday. How how collectively how are we feeling ahead of this one? I'm sure Sammy and the Thursday club will will tackle it in more depth. But just just off the top of the dome, Dan, you're looking a little bit um, you know, wincing there. Terrified. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I hate the way they play football, and I think it's going to cause us so many problems. But but you know, positives. We, we beat them at home last year. I think there's just a thing we have with, with Brentford is our record against them is, is, is generally pretty poor, but you know, they gave, it gave us the, one of the best moments at home last season. And Marco Silva is an incredibly smart manager. And so I, I trust in him to, to set us up to nullify the Brentford threat. Yeah, let's do it. Anyway. Um, yeah. Thank you very much for your time, gentlemen. George, would you like to name the podcast before we sign off? Yeah, there were some good ones. Um, I did quite like the Barbie reference, but I'm not sure how many of our fan base will have watched the film by now. So I'm going to go with the uh, the next best for me, which was Daylight Bobbery Achieved. Hang on, sir. That was very good. From uh, Steve Hazelwood. I love that one. <laughs> it's very, very good. good. Very nice good. one, Steve. Yeah, excellent stuff. All right, George, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, George. Cheers. Thank you, Mr. Dan Cook. Ah, it's been a pleasure. Thanks, Coops. And Farrell Monk, lovely seeing your little face as always. (laughs) (laughs) Lovely, jubbly, George. Thanks very much for having me. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening, everyone. Hope you have a fantastic week and Sammy will be back with the Thursday Club uh, on Thursday. There you go. (laughs) I'm not going to... That was so crap. <laughs> We've had the Thursday club on Thursday. Leave it in. The elbow is where the elbow is get... meant to be. <laughs> I was gonna redo it, but I'm gonna I'm just gonna leave, leave that it. one in. Anyway, have a great week. It's time. Sorry, say goodbye. Right, cheerio. <laughs> cheerio.